everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Your Mortgage Process. I am your host, Greg Wareham. We've got a great show for you today. We're bringing back one by popular demand, which is Q&A from our audience, hosted by myself and Mr. Nick Pavis. Nick, the producer of the show. Welcome, Nick. Thanks for having me on the show, Greg. Well, Nick, I appreciate you being on the show. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to get right into it because we have so many different questions that are submitted to us via online that we want to answer for people that are listening to our show and watching our show out there. Uh, before I get into it, I just want to remind you, if you have any questions, just email them over to greg at yourmortgageprocess.com and we'll be sure to include it in an upcoming episode. So thank you, everybody. Maybe we'll even start giving you credit for it. I think people would like that. That would be cool. Dan B. I should. From TNEC? From Ohio. <laughs> so Nick, I know we have some questions from the audience. Let's answer the question. Well, I have a couple for you uh, today. Great. Uh, one of the first one that popped up on the list, uh, it's, it's asked a few times, Sure. which is what's my interest rate, which is obviously probably a, um, like a, Multiple, what's the word I'm looking for? A multi-layered. Yeah, it's like so, answer. yeah. But right. I'll let you take the, take the wheel here. Well, that's one that I get every day, as everyone can imagine. So what's my interest rate going to be? So a couple of things that I would point out to everybody is interest rate is a product of credit percentage of the value of the property that you're borrowing or the amount that you're putting down is another way to put it. And those are really the two biggest factors associated with interest rate. So depending on someone's individual situation, it's really gonna dictate what that interest rate is going to be. And let me give you an example. So if you have someone with a 700 credit score that's putting down 10%, they're gonna pay a higher interest rate than someone with a 780 credit score putting down 30%. The two factors in play there are the credit score and the down payment amount. Uh, another thing that can impact your interest rate is what type of loan program are you going into? So you have a few different ones. You have conventional lending, you have FHA lending, you have VA lending, you have jumbo mortgage lending, you have renovation lending, you have new construction loans. So just to list a few of them. So each one of those individual programs that you're looking for can really dictate what your interest rate's going to be. One thing I can tell you with absolute certainty, if you wanna maximize your interest rates, two things. Have outstanding credit, and now that's gauged by a credit score of 780 or higher and put down as much money as you can because if you put down 40 percent you're going to get a better interest rate than if you put down 20 percent now they're fractionally fractionally different nick so it's not like that you're looking at three quarters of a percent swings to interest rate but they you know you can see an eighth of a percent difference to three eighths of a percent difference depending on those factors which can be a significant chunk of change no question. Yeah. I mean, hey, at the end of the day, we all want to pay the least amount of money possible that we can on a monthly basis. But we also need to balance that with how much money you have in reserves, because that has some bearing as well. Do you really want to put every last dime that you have into a mortgage, especially if you're a first time home buyer, and say that saved you $100 a month in the form of mortgage payment, as an example, but it left you with no money in the bank? Or were you better off paying another $100 a month because you put down less money and you have $10,000 cushion after you move into your house. Just from experience of being a first-time home buyer, it's, you know, listen, you want to paint the house. You want to make it your house. You never know what type of issues that you can run into, and it's a nice, nice to have a buffer in there as well, is my point. I can come from my personal experience, yeah. and uh, in that purchase, 
she offered certain equipment or utility equipment like the washer, dryer, fridge kind of situation uh, at a premium. And for us, it didn't make sense. So we purchased our own, but sure. that calculations that we had to make, like, okay, hold on. Well, this is what the month will look like, but you know, we need to go buy that $2,000 fridge, $1,000 washer, $1,000 dryer. And sure. it's like, wow, that cushion, like for example, you said 10,000, you know, we just lost four know, K right there. Yeah, I mean, you can get you can get hundred or thousand dollars to death, thousand buck to death, right? When you move in, and you just want to make sure at the end of the day that you have money and that you have reserves, and you're not putting yourself in a situation where you're stressed month to month right out of the gate. That leads us into the next one, which was, uh, is the debt to income more of the longevity of debt uh, when you're taking into account what our mortgage. Uh, approval and rating might be, mm -hmm. or is it more of our $100 monthly uh, commitments? Yeah, that's a great question, uh, Nick. And what gets factored into your debt to income ratio is how much debt shows up on your credit report, minimum monthly payments, plus the principal, interest, property taxes, homeowners insurance, and any potential HOA dues on the property. You take that cost plus the minimum monthly payment on your credit report, you add those numbers together and you divide by your gross monthly income. And let me run you through an example on that. So let's just say the mortgage payment is $3,000 a month, but between the student loans that, that you have, or you may have, and your car payment and the minimum balances on your credit report, maybe that comes to $1,000 a month. So take the 3,000 plus the 1,000, that gives you $4,000 a month in total monthly debt. Now, if your annual income is $120,000, that's $10,000 a month. You take the $4,000 in total expenditures, in total debt load, divided by the 10,000, it gives you a ratio of 40%. And that 40% is what's called your back-end debt-to-income ratio. Now, why did I say back-end debt-to-income ratio? Because there's two ratios. There's a front-end ratio, and there's a back-end ratio. In our example, the back-end ratio is all your debt plus your mortgage payment divided by your gross monthly income. It was 40%, right? 4,000 divided by 10,000. When you look at your front-end debt-to-income ratio, the total mortgage payment, including everything associated with the mortgage, was 3,000 a month. You take the 3,000 a month divided by the 10,000, that's 30%, that's your front-end ratio. And both ratios matter. I think that's pretty fair. I have uh, another good one for you. Ooh, I'm ready. So. Will I have to pay mortgage insurance? Uh, maybe is the answer. Next question? No. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess more uh, of a scenario basis. Yeah, right? so let me give you a scenario on paying mortgage insurance and a couple of different options. So P there's two different types of mortgage insurance primarily. There's PMI and there's MIP. PMI is private mortgage insurance and that's for conventional lending. MIP, mortgage insurance premium, is for, premium is for FHA lending. Well. What's the difference? They operate very similarly in a lot of ways, but there are some differences associated with that. So when you look at PMI, which is a conventional mortgage, if you're putting down less than 20%, you have to pay monthly PMI. And the question I get all the time is, well, how much is that PMI per month? And it depends. It depends on a couple of things. It depends on what percentage of the value of the property that you're borrowing, so what your down payment is, and it depends on your credit score and your loan amount because they do change what that monthly cost can be. Picture behind the scenes for a second that the monthly cost of PMI is an equation. So you're going to look at there's a, there's a factor associated with putting down 10%, let's say, plus a credit score, 
times the loan amount or plus the loan amount is going to give you a ratio that the PMI companies give you. You take that ratio and you multiply it by the loan amount. So in that scenario, your PMI factor, let's say, with really great credit is 0.41%. Well, and that's with 10% down. Well, what if I put down 15%? With really good credit and those other factors we were talking about, that may put that ratio down to 0.25 of 1%. So point being, it's gonna be different depending on how much you're putting down and what your credit score is. And all PMI does is it gives you a factor, and then that factor is multiplied by the loan amount, divided by 12, that's how you come up with the PMI number. Now, on a conventional loan, Nick, on a conventional loan, you can eliminate the PMI once you have 22% equity in the property. And that 22% equity can be from two things. It can be, one, from a reduction of your principal balance over the course of time relative to your purchase price, and then number two, it could be equity growth over the course of time or a combination of both, and that's how you can eliminate it. Now, I had also mentioned that there was MIP. MIP is FHA's mortgage insurance. MIP factor is a little bit different of a factor. So depending on how much money you're putting down, 3.5%, 5%, or 50%, you're always going to have to pay MIP on an FHA, FHA mortgage. And it's very difficult to eliminate MIP on an FHA mortgage. Most of the time you need to refinance in order to eliminate it. And the factors are different. You know, if you're putting down three and a half percent versus 5%, they give you a different MIP factors. Does that answer your question, Nick? I think that's fair. That's a pretty good assessment. Uh, Thank you, I've been practicing that. I'm sure you have. <laughs> I think it's probably really important too to um, give some of that comfort or that peace of mind. I'm sure there's a lot of potential buyers uh, who are new to the education and the home buying experience who try to be those um, YouTube University uh, researchers yeah. where they're trying to find all these answers when in reality they can pick up the phone and call you and you could be that resource without them having to spend hours of misinformation yeah. and, and filtering. You know, you bring up a good point with that, Nick. I mean, the amount of phone calls that I get from people that are already working with a mortgage professional to try to help them explain something, it's a lot. I get many of those per week. And if anyone has any questions ever, please reach out to me directly. You can reach me at 385-519-HOME, H-O-M-E. That's 385-519-H-O-M-E, which is 4663. Or you can email me at greg at And it kind of wouldn't matter where they are in the process because like you said, you've helped them out kind of during which yeah. obviously may not be ideal in the long run, but of course you want to be a resource there and help them out no matter where they are. You know what it is, Nick, that when you look at you know, all, all even these podcasts we've put together are running in on the century mark with that, which is pretty exciting. You know, it's all about education. So I've speak, speak to a number of people that are already far enough along in the process where I advise them, hey, stay where you're at, continue to do what you're doing, and here's the questions that you want to have for your loan officer. So it's about educating, it's about moving things in the right direction, and at the end of the day, doing the right thing by people. Yeah, even me, just being a part of the show um, for over a year now, you know, I have friends or family that I kind of have these discussions with, and sometimes they, they kind of foresee it like, a, you know, a home ownership is just so far away that you should be having those conversations now. That's a great point, Nick, and it's never too early to have the conversation. Because I just had a phone call today with someone who was looking to get pre-approved for a mortgage, but they didn't want to run their credit debt. And they didn't want to run their credit because they get their credit karma score. It's always going to be different than the credit score that you're getting for a mortgage. 
And they, they wanted to hold off, which of course I completely understand we can hold off on looking at it. But the challenge becomes, he's looking to purchase a home in the next three months. And you know he had some uh, issues in the past with his credit. And I'm from the perspective on that, that don't you want to know now? If you're three months before you plan on finding a house, you really want to know now, what are some of the challenges that I may have from a credit standpoint? Because it affords us the ability to try to help them improve their credit so they eventually get a better deal when they do in fact find a property and go under contract. So, and maybe it's because I'm in the mortgage industry as well. You know, I just think now's always a good time because you just want to know where you're at so you can understand where you're going. Yeah, I think that's totally fair, right? Because otherwise you fall yeah. in love with a property and you're like, oh man, I got to do this now. And yeah. you're down to the wire where you won't really be able to make much impact change to your credit score. Definitely. And on the flip side of it, if I have someone who knows they have an 800 credit score and they have 30% to put down and they're not looking to shop our house for six months, I'll tell them to wait. I mean, what's the point of looking at the credit report now if the credit report's not going to be valid by the time that we close? Which brings up another point, credit reports are typically good for 120 days. That means from the time that you pull the credit report, you have to close on that property within 120 days. Ironically, that was the next question was, do you have to pull my credit? Yeah, I mean, yes, yes. Now, with that being said, it's, so I, I say yes because if you truly want to have a mortgage pre-approval, as a mortgage professional, I need to give you definitive answers. And I can't give somebody definitive answers without all, with all the facts. And the credit report's a big aspect of that. So if you want pre-approved, yeah, I have to pull your credit. Uh, however, you know, I don't have to pull the credit if you just want to have a conversation and you know where everything's at and you just want some advice as to how you want to move things forward. Uh, behind the scenes in the mortgage industry, when I take an application on someone and we pull their credit, we run them through an industry standard system called desktop underwriting. And we run that through the system and it takes it and it scrubs it against Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, FHA guidelines to see whether or not they're eligible. And you want to know that up front. You want to know that so when you're out shopping for a house, to your point before, you fall in love with something, you want to know you're going to be able to purchase it. There's just so much information out there. Yeah. And, um, like even coming from me, being a part of the show, I can't, it's like the one place you can easily turn for resource. Like mm -hmm. it's secured, it's vetted, it's updated and... You know, it's someone who's a professional in the field for such a long period of time versus let me Google a bunch of these questions, third party websites, you know, sources that who knows if it's valid or true and mm -hmm. it was vetting them. And right. Um, there's just so much information out there. So it's nice to know that something's collective. Yeah, you go right to the source, right? Go right to the source to figure out what you can and what you can't do, you know, and understand where you stand. Yeah. What other great questions that our audience sent us, Nick? This one's a little bit more towards like the realtor, but I thought there's a lot of value here. Sure. Is why do I have to be pre-approved? Great question. So the reason that you need to be pre-approved for a mortgage, especially in the competitive environment that we're in today, is someone who's looking to sell a house, well, they're going to have a lot of different bids on that property. And if I'm somebody selling the house, and if you're someone selling the house, you think about this, are you going to accept an offer from someone who hasn't even been pre-approved for a mortgage yet? Unless they're paying cash, right? And so if you're not pre-approved for a mortgage, well, you can't really even, there's no point in looking at houses. You don't know what you qualify for. You're not sure if there's any issues. You can't put an offer in on a house with a pre-approval. Again, unless you have cash. But even if you have cash, 
what the seller and the seller's real estate agent will ask for is we want proof of funds. So if you're going to pay $500,000 for a house and you say you're going to pay in cash, you have to send them your bank statement to make sure that you have the money. So I think it's pretty fair. Yeah, and I think just from a consumer standpoint, you want to know what you're getting into. You know, I, I mean, here's the reality of the situation. As interest rates have went up over the course of the past year or so, you want to understand what your payment's going to be. So you want to have good ideas to what your rate's going to be, your payment's going to be, what your different options are, and all that happens during the pre-approval process. Like, you know, if you're going to buy a house, the next thing you know, your payment's $6,000 a month because the house that you love and that's not in your budget, what was the point of going through all those motions? I'm going to close out with one more, Barry. This is a really good one. Okay. And hopefully it's like a lob. I hope so. Yeah, meatball. <laughs> why, why call Greg versus some internet uh, mortgage company? that is like the first Google research or uh, Google search? That's a great question, Nick. You have a lot of great questions. Yeah, well, it's so, the audience. <laughs> it's not me. No, you read great questions. Yeah. All right, so why would you call me versus going with an online company? So, and I get that question all the time. It, at the end of the day, I got a couple things I would say about the mortgage industry that have changed over a long period of time. So I came into the mortgage industry in 1998, which means I've been in the industry for 25 years. Now, there was a time in the mortgage industry where different companies had different products, they had different rates, they had different costs. And the reason for that was loan officers back then were compensated based on how much they were charging the, the buyer or the borrower. In today's world, it's hard for me to wrap my brain around that, but it used to be like that uh, 20 years ago. Now, after the mortgage crash in 2008, everything got regulated. So a loan officer, a mortgage expert like myself, you know, you're really compensated on the volume and then the bank pays you. So none of that, so what the borrower is charged or the buyer is charged doesn't, it doesn't have any bearing as to what the loan officer is compensated for. So and I bring that up because the industry's become a service and knowledge field. If most companies are going to have a very similar rate and you have very similar costs and you have very similar products, what's the differentiator? differentiator in a commoditized market? It's the person, right? It's The mortgage industry behind the scenes is difficult. It feels easy at times for a consumer to think, well, I'm just getting a mortgage, I'm going to borrow half a million dollars. But there's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of rules. There's a lot of guidelines. If I were to show you the book, of Fannie Mae guidelines, as an example, which is really an industry leader, it's like this big. Right. You know, and there's different nuances within that that apply to different people. So you really need to be working with someone that really knows this industry and that's been in it for a very long period of time. And, it, you know, listen, I don't want to say you should work with someone because they've been doing it for a long time. It really just comes down to experience of transactions. When you've done, you know, 5,000 transactions like, like I have, you know, you've just seen a lot of it. You've seen most of the, the scenarios, even though everyone's continuing to learn. Uh, the second thing, really, it's, it's service. You know, it, it's, it's how receptive and how accountable and how communicative the mortgage loan officer is that you're working with. Because I tell you this, I mean, you call an 800 number and you get a mortgage pre-approval and you need them on a Sunday at eight o'clock at night, they're not answering your phone. Why? Well, because that call center runs from Monday to, Monday to Friday, 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. And on Saturday, it's running from one, or excuse me, from 9 a.m. to like 1 p.m. Right. The reality of the industry is that when you're looking to purchase a house, when are most people buying a house? 
Saturday and Sunday, most of the time, right? That's when they're looking at properties. And you just need somebody that's accessible. I, the third component of that, of why it's important to work with someone who knows what they're doing that's experienced, you know the people. So I know the markets. I know the real estate agents. You know everybody, and as you build up a reputation in the industry, it just creates more cohesion with the process. Right, you're able right. to utilize people who might be specialty or specialize in one specific area, or you know, oh my God, you also need this service. Well, great, like we can streamline it because I do so much or frequent business with this you person. do so much of it and you know in in a local market it's relationships like if you work in a local market you know it's good to work with a local person and if it's not a local person then at least has to be someone who's got a massive amount of experience because i have a lot of conversations with attorneys and title companies different issues that that come up well i speak the language i know what the attorney's looking for i know what that dialogue needs to look like and most importantly I know how to protect the consumer from a lot of the moving parts in the background. Do you know what I mean? I know how to facilitate it. I know how to stop something before it comes up, becomes a problem and try to create an ease of transaction. So at the end of the day on it anymore, it's not about rate and cost and product. Everyone's got the same one. It just becomes experience, the service, you know, local is a good place to work as well. And then also knowing the lingo and knowing the players and know how other uh, facets of the business operate. I think that's totally fair. Uh, listen, I'd like, to, I'd like to say at the end of the day on it that, you know, my interest rate's going to be 3% lower than everybody else in the marketplace, but it just doesn't work that way. You know, it's funny. I get phone calls about people that were promised an interest rate 2% under where the market is because they got it online somewhere. And every time they get the loan estimate from that lender, yeah, maybe they gave them the interest rate, but what they didn't tell them is they charged them three, four, five points to get there. I just had this conversation yesterday. You know, they had offered them a, an interest rate, and I was like, well, gosh, if you can get that interest rate, you should take that interest rate. But at the end of the day, it was going to cost them $37,000 to close on a $500,000 property. They were paying for that interest rate. Uh, and that brings up a, a good conversation about, you know, points. I was actually going to ask you, even though that's not from our audience, it's from me. So at what point, what, what, what point does uh, putting more down differentiate from buying points? Yeah, it's a good question, Nick. So putting more money down is money that you're putting towards the principal, right? right? So it reduces your loan amount, which is going to organically reduce your payment. You're borrowing less money. Buying points has a direct correlation with what your interest rate's going to be. And let me give you an example. Let's say the prevailing interest rate is 6.5%, and that's on a 30-year fixed interest rate with zero points. You may be able to pay one point, and one point is equal to 1% of your loan amount. So if it's a $400,000 loan, one point's $4,000. Now that one point may reduce your interest rate from 65 to six and a quarter or six and an eighth, depending on any given day in the marketplace. So what I would look at for that consumer is to say, okay, if you were to buy a point or pay that $4,000, what's your difference in monthly payment and how long does it take for you to recuperate that in the form of months? So in our example, if it's $4,000 and it's changing your payment by $400 a month, right? How long does that take you to recover it? 
Well, that didn't take you too long in that model. What's that, 10 months in that situation? That could be a really good buy down. It might be worth it. But let's say it takes you 40 months to recuperate it. Then we have to have the conversation of, well, if it's gonna take you 40 months to recuperate the money that you paid at the closing, do you think you'll refinance the property if rates drop? Or do you think that you're gonna sell the home in that time frame? If either one of those answers are yes, then it may not make sense to pay that point because you're never gonna recuperate the upfront money that you paid at the closing. Right. Okay, I get it. You know, another question I get is, should I buy multiple points, right? Should I buy two points, should I buy three points? Like, you can, again, you could buy as many points as you want, but there gets to be the point of diminishing returns where that break-even number gets further and further out. Uh, in, a, in a market like this one, I can give you my opinion that I, it's very unusual for it to make sense for someone to pay more than one point on the loan currently. Because it's not like if you pay three points, you're going to be at 4% interest rate and never refinance it. It just doesn't buy down your rate far enough to put you in a position where you wouldn't refinance the, inter or refinance the mortgage once interest rates drop. I would assume. Um, so I've never really had my eye on the mar housing market like I do like now. Yeah. In this kind of current situation that our entire economy is going through with the housing market and the demand, is that something that you foresee in your expertise? Is this kind of a scenario where like, oh, well, I still have to move, I want to move, or I'm downsizing or upgrading, but at the end of the day, should I consider buying it now because refinance is always an option? So it's funny, I, I mean, I, I keep saying I just had a phone call. I'm on the phone a lot. You know, I take a lot of uh, phone calls about different situations. And before we came in to, to shoot this episode, I was on a call with someone who's a first time home buyer asking me whether or not it was a good time to buy. And the conversation that I had with them is it's a product of time. So we know historically, if you go back to 1991, that real estate is going to increase statistically at about 4.5% per year, year over year, right? So I know long term, real estate's always going to be a great investment. And to your point, you know, even if rates are high right now, when they come down, you can always look to refinance that mortgage. So the advice that I had for this individual is, listen, if you're gonna plan on buying this house and it's a short-term deal, where you're gonna sell it in a year, you sell it in, a two year, in two years, you know, maybe now's not the right time to buy a house, right? Because we don't know where the market's gonna go short-term. If you're gonna be in the house longer term, well, we know it's always a good time to buy a house because long-term, the property is always going to appreciate. And the other thing that people have to keep in mind is the moment that interest rates start to drop, well, what do you think is going to happen to house prices? If affordability increases because interest rate dropped, well, doesn't that give you more room for property values to continue to increase? And it's going to increase demand even further than it is right now. Right. Same so. before we were a year and a half ago. Exactly. Right. Look, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, we know that you're gonna win long-term with real estate. Just like we know from mutual funds or we look at the S&P 500, right? We know you're gonna win long-term. Are there gonna be fluctuations in the marketplace? Of course they're going to be. But fluctuations are only observed if you sell the property, right? right? Just like your retirement account. But we know long-term that we're always going to win. Yeah, I think that's pretty cool. Um... I, I would probably wrap up with, with telling people, I mean, this is a great, podcast or a great show 
for the consumer today and hopefully have a lot of value for the consumer, but it's equally as important for the real estate professional to kind of understand what some of the thoughts are that are going through the heads of the consumers that are emailing us directly. These are questions that they have and these are questions that they want to be able to answer and I hope that this time together kind of gives people a little bit more insight as to questions that people have. And if you have any questions, of course, just reach out to me directly. Again, my phone number is 385-519-HOME or email me at greg at yourmortgageprocess.com. I should have uh, mentioned that yeah. the people emailing us or contacting us could also be professionals in the field. It's not yeah. like I'm not doing research on here or we, you know, we might not know enough about them. We're not betting them, right? Uh, yeah. But we open up that dialogue and it's obviously common questions that their clients or them themselves are trying to field, but why not create that organic uh, relationship and partnership? Hey, you know what? I know the perfect guy to, to handle a situation like this. Listen, I mean, Nick does a lot of time. He spends, we spend a lot of time together and we record different things together. We spend a lot of time on the road together. Uh, a lot of the real estate agents that listen to the show or watch us on YouTube, they know me. And I think anyone that knows me or listens, I love this stuff right? I can't do anything else. So I've decided that this is kind of my passion and what I like to do. I like to educate people, hopefully inspire the home buyer to better understand and be more knowledgeable to put them into a house. And if you ever need anything, just reach out to me directly. I love to have conversations around the mortgage industry, what's going on in the marketplace, questions about how the products work, work guidelines, everything. I think that's awesome. Yeah. I would use Greg. <laughs> <laughs> So again, if you need anything at all, please reach out to me directly, greg at yourmortgageprocess.com, or you can reach me at 385-519-HOME. With that, Nick, you have any more questions for me? I'm feeling good. Looking forward to our next regroup, and uh, hopefully we'll come up with some other good ones. So Nick, thanks for spending the time, and thank you, everybody. Thank you for listening. Please let me know if there's like anything that I can do for you. Greg Wareham, Your Mortgage Process. Look forward to catching up with you next week. Bye, guys. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Your Mortgage Process, hosted by Greg Wareham, produced by Greg Wareham and Nick Pavise at The Social Rift, and executively produced by The Social Rift. Thank you again for tuning in, and we look forward to catching up with you next week.